Welcome to the Real Birth Podcast, the show where real parents share real birth stories and get really honest about how it went. You might be a first-time expectant parent, or on your eighth baby. Perhaps you're a birth worker, or maybe you just love learning about birth. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. This podcast aims to educate and empower listeners through the real stories of mums and dads. I'm Lucy Hill. I'm a doula, a mum of a toddler, and a complete birth nerd. Join me as I invite all kinds of parents to share their stories of pregnancy, birth, and beyond. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, hello, and happy new year to you all. I hope you had a really good Christmas break and that you are now 99% carbs, as tradition demands. This week, to start the new year right, my guest is Stephanie. She is a mother of three from Canada, and she's been a Lamar's educator and doula since 2002. After the birth of her second son, Stephanie saw just how valuable it is to be prepared for birth and to have some really good support around you. So Stephanie trained as a childbirth educator and a doula and originally was running classes from her basement. But now over 20 years later, she is the founder of Doula School, which offers training for birth and postnatal doulas, as well as prenatal yoga teacher training and doula education retreats. Her belief is that the world can be a better place if parents have more positive childbirth experiences that allow them to properly bond with their babies and she works tirelessly to change the world one family at a time in this aspect. So thank you Stephanie for giving up your time to speak with me. I know you're a very busy lady. Um, Stephanie and I talk about her three births and in particular we talk about how her births compared with an epidural versus without an epidural and why you might choose an epidural or why you might choose to decline or avoid that. So that's quite an interesting conversation that we had in this episode. Thank you again for speaking with me. I will turn it over now to Stephanie to tell her birth stories. Well, welcome Stephanie to the podcast. It's really great to have you on here. Lovely to meet you. Um, Before we go into talking about your different birth stories, I'd love to know a little bit about who you are, where you're living, who's in your family and what it is you do. Well, it's funny when I graduated high school, I was voted least likely to have children. That was the title that I was given. Everyone was like most likely to succeed or most likely I was least likely to have children. And so I sit here coming to you as a mother of three children that I have birthed and three stepchildren. And I've been working as a doula and a childbirth educator for 20 years. So pretty much everything in my life is birth and babies and all of those things. That's incredible. And do you know why you were voted least likely to have children? I feel like that's kind of a label we wouldn't be allowed to give now. (laughs) Right? I know you would think that that seems like a horrible thing. And I think how I showed up for myself or maybe what I envisioned for myself in the future was something maybe a little bit more corporate and maybe having a lot of travel and adventure in my life. Mm. And so it definitely came as a surprise to a lot of people when I was one of the first in my group of of friends to have a baby when we were off to college. Mm. And uh, and once I had one, I figured, well, why stop now? <laughs> that's great so you have so you have three children and three stepchildren that's amazing busy house could you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do for work then you mentioned you're a doula and a childbirth educator and how did that come about yeah so when I first started working after college I started doing work in corporate And it seemed like it suited me. I definitely wasn't one of those people that dreaded getting up in the morning and going to work. I did really interesting work 
uh, specifically in corporate intelligence, right, helped big companies keep track of their competitors and their market trends. And then I had my second son. And my first birth experience, which we're going to chat about today, was not what I had expected okay. for myself. And so it was really after having that second son and I thought, wow, that made it, you know, taking prenatal classes, really good prenatal classes made a really big difference in my birth experience. I should teach this to other people. Yeah, I was, I've always been super fascinated with birth and pregnancy and, you know, really the incredible capacity of the human body and spirit. And so after having that, that second son, I decided I was going to become a childbirth educator for, for a hobby, that that was going to be my hobby. And Sunday nights, people used to file into my basement and I would teach group prenatal classes at home from my home in private and, um, and loved it. But for my very first class, someone said, Hey, will you come with us to our birth? We're really nervous. And I somehow became a doula (laughs) from that point. And over years, I say this work took hold of my heart and then it took hold of my life. And I ended up, uh, you know, coming into it full time now, many, many years ago already. Wow, that's amazing. Thinking about that first birth, you mentioned that you had um, your first son and that that birth was not what you were expecting. Mm-hmm. First off, was that pregnancy something that was intentional? And how were you feeling about that pregnancy and finding out you were pregnant? Yeah, so it wasn't something that I was planning. I was still going through university and uh, but I was married and, you know, got pregnant unexpectedly and thought, okay, well, I guess this is what's happening now. And I was always really fascinated with the experience of pregnancy. And, you know, this was pre-internet, right? He's 24 years old at the, at this time right now. And that was before people had internet at home. So I had these four books that someone had lent me. And I read these books cover to cover obsessively. I was so fascinated with everything around conception and the changes in the body. I, I would say I'm not someone that has easy pregnancies. I, ha- I get gestational diabetes and uh, my body physically doesn't love being pregnant from a pain perspective, but my mind is super fascinated by it. So I just kept you know, reading these books over and over and over again, super fascinated by this, really thinking the entire time without fear or anxiety, hey, people have been doing this for thousands of years. How hard can it be? You know, and and my friends will jokingly say that that's my life motto, because no matter what anyone brings up, my answer is always, how hard can it be? Mm -hmm. And so I really imagined myself having an unmedicated birth and, you know, all of these things that I was reading about in terms of evidence-based practice. And I just thought, yeah, I'm going to have all of that. And, uh, and then it didn't go that way. You know, I ended up with some, just some routine interventions that Mm. were really probably very typical at the time. But each time I realized I didn't know how to show up for myself and say, yeah, I don't want that. Mm. You know, I don't want that. And um, I think what stands out for me, it's interesting because in the doula world, we talk a lot about, um, you know, Penny Simpkins work, you know, in the article she wrote called Just Another Day in a Woman's Life, where she was able to track, um, I think it was 20 of her clients that she had taught 15 to 20 years prior. And she got them to fill out a que- the same questionnaire she had them fill out right after they'd had their baby. And one of the things that she realized was that people really remembered very specific things about their birth experience. You know, and as someone who had my birth experience, twenty that birth experience 24 years ago, I can say the thing that stands out for me the most is this moment where um, the nurse knew that I was hoping to avoid an epidural. 
And I was very internally focused and just in la la land, you know, mm-hmm. super Zen and knowing what I know now, having seen hundreds and hundreds of people in labor, you know, I know that I was coping really well. And in my body, in that moment, I felt I was coping really well. And she kept trying to talk to me during contractions. So obviously I wasn't really responding very much. And she says, she says this, I know you're hoping to avoid the epidural, but if you can't even speak to me now, you're never going to be able to push your baby out. Oh, that's so damaging, isn't it? To somebody who's in, and and I totally resonate with that being so internal and no, you're not talking to anyone else because you are focused on your job and you are doing it well and you are calm. There's no reason to break somebody out of that and least of all to bring such negativity to that. Gosh, so that's amazing. And I totally um, agree. And that is such interesting work looking at what people remember because I I speak to people who had you know a baby maybe a year ago and then people who are in their 60s and 70s who still remember their birth you know I think it is such such a visceral memory and I think unless unless our brains do something to protectively remove those memories which I'm sure you know does happen with with traumatic experiences the mm-hmm. things that happen to us in those pivotal life moments such as birth they just they stay with you forever and so mm-hmm. the way we are treated and the way we feel in those experiences is so so important did you did you do any other than the four books that you read cover to cover did you do any um antenatal classes or any birth preparation in in the way that you kind of t- were teaching people later on in your life no and i really attribute that to you know, some of the, some of the challenges I had with really speaking up for myself was that I hadn't taken really good classes. And for me, that just made all the difference in that subsequent birth experience was, you know, being, being told for the first time in my life that, Hey, I was my own healthcare advocate and I could say no to things. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, what do you mean say no, like to the nurse and doctor? (laughs) What do you mean? Uh, because my parents' generation was very much that generation that goes to the doctor and does what the doctor says, and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. So it was really life-altering for me to have that later experience of, you know, really diving deep into being an informed decision maker in my healthcare. Yeah, it must have been really valuable to you to be able to really know the difference between the two experiences, and then to be able to pass that on to families that you're then working with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did labor begin for your first child? Uh, or did it begin spontaneously? How did that birth experience begin? Yeah, so that was one of the really interesting experiences I had was that my Braxton Hicks contractions were very, very patterned. I would have Braxton Hicks contractions all day, every day, five minutes apart, you know, for many hours leading up. And people would always say, oh, Braxton Hicks, they don't really hurt and they're not consistent. And I would sit there having consistent, uncomfortable contractions and felt a little bit confused by that. But then when labor actually really did start, which started uh, at around 5 a.m. And I woke up feeling more cramping than I had been feeling. And I thought, oh, what's that? Went back to sleep, woke up a few minutes later. Oh, there it is again. A few minutes later. Oh, there it is again. So after a couple of hours of that, I thought, okay, you know, this must be what they're talking about. And all of a sudden recognized a really distinct, you know, sensation difference between 
what I had been feeling through those Braxton Hicks contractions and then now this progressing labor. And so I think I headed into the hospital around 9.30 in the morning. So really only four hours, which when you think about is not a lot for a first time baby. Mm -hmm. And, and I feel like I was maybe three, four centimeters when I got there. Um, they kept me and then that's when the intervention train began, Mm. which if you can imagine, you know, even in my lifetime, uh, included things like an enema, a routine enema, which was super archaic. We haven't heard of that in, you know, decades really right before. Yeah. 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 Wow. So, uh, were you under the care of, um, an OBGYN or how did that work? Did you have midwifery care at, at that point? Yeah, so I was having my baby in Quebec, um, and so midwifery, even to this day, midwifery isn't uh, as advanced as it is in some other provinces here in Canada, Um, but I had a family doctor, so I've been referred to a family doctor, and you know, really, she was actually quite wonderful in terms of how she engaged with me uh, compared to what I see a lot of the times now was really a lovely level of care. Uh, but was still very routine. You know, that hospital system clearly had a lot of routine interventions that were just Mm. par for the course. So, you know, IV, enema, continuous fetal monitoring, staying in bed. uh, And then, of course, that epidural that apparently, you know, I quote unquote needed before to be able to push my baby out, which ironically, once I finally agreed to it, because I thought, well, this nurse must know what she's talking about, you know, um, and I don't know, I've never done this before. I must look like someone who can't do this. Mm. That's, you know, those are the thoughts that went through my mind because I never had the thought, I don't think I can do this. Okay. I so never you, had that thought. internally, you felt like you were doing it and doing it well. And it was an external voice that kind of penetrated that and yeah. made you question it. And of course, you, you know, you're a young first time mother. Mm-hmm. You haven't done this before. You haven't seen anyone else do it before, probably. And to have somebody go, oh, yeah, you really need this. Yeah, there's that thought of, oh, why aren't I doing this right? Okay, you you know, and I don't. So, okay. So how far into your labor and do you know how far progressed dilated you were when you had your epidural? Yeah. So when I finally said, okay, I guess if you think I need this, I guess I will. Then it took 90 minutes before there was actually an anesthesiologist available. Okay. And then they checked me right after that and I was fully. (laughs) Oh gosh. Wow. So obviously I was probably heading towards transition. I don't have a memory of being checked before. Um, so I was probably heading into transition and that's why I wasn't speaking very much. And then an hour and a half later, I was fully. So then of course, what happened was challenges with pushing, which was ironic because she said, you know, you, if you, you know, if you don't get this epidural, you probably won't be able to push your baby out and literally having the epidural and me feeling absolutely nothing was what made it take so Mm -hmm. long for me to actually push my baby out. So yeah, it's kind of interesting how that all comes together. Yeah, it really is. And actually the the obviously every person is going to be different but the sensations of pushing your baby are different from the sensations of you know the uterus pulling itself up and the and the dilation so it's almost like the pushing stage it's almost like you you can't compare those two things in terms of well you need pain relief for this if you can't do this you know it's like trying to compare the two stages of labor which is yeah Yeah, not really possible and so when it came to pushing your baby 
did you I assume did you wait for somebody to tell you kind of now is when you need to push because they're watching your the monitor and telling you okay you're having a contraction now did you have any sensation it sounds like you didn't I don't I definitely didn't have any sensation of that bearing down feeling that mm-hmm. you get without an epidural. I definitely didn't have that. I I still had some sensation when I first got the epidural, but basically they checked me and said, oh, look at that. You're fully, you can start pushing now. And so all of that happened quite quickly. And then I pushed for two hours feeling absolutely nothing. And so, you know, I have this memory of them saying, yeah, what you just did, do that again. And thought, I have no idea what I just did. Yeah. uh, Zero feeling, zero feeling. And for people who've been working in this field for a really long time, I'll say there's a very big difference between those old fashioned epidurals that were very dense Mm -hmm. and you just didn't feel a dang thing compared to a modern day epidural, which, you know, some people call a light epidural or a walking epidural, which are made to take away the sensation of pain, but not pressure. Mm-hmm. so it was very different sensation I felt absolutely nothing mm. and found it really quite challenging that people were you know were and and I think to this day this is still a pet peeve of mine this hardcore coached pushing where like everyone's yelling at you that you're basically doing the wrong thing and um and here you know you you better do something different because you're not doing it right I I am I still said I just did a podcast on that recently on my YouTube channel uh just talking about how it's still one of my pet peeves and I don't have a lot of pet peeves after this long in this work you know Mm. but that coached pushing is just oh just makes people feel horrible it just does not seem like the way babies should enter this world that's for sure and others should be created and I've spoken to other people as well who've said that in those moments they have literally been told the words no you're doing that wrong Mm -hmm. you know and and Mm -hmm. you've never firstly if you've never done it before, how is there a wrong way you're learning? And if you can't feel it, you just have to go with what someone's telling you to do. You can't, you can't get it right every time you'll, you'll get there. So it sounds like eventually after a bit of a struggle, your son was, was born. Yeah. So got a big episiotomy, okay. uh, which of course was also something I had wanted to avoid. And yes, and then my baby was born and all was well. And I think there and right there, it lies where the challenge began for me psychologically, that I was healthy and my baby was healthy. And I still felt like that did not feel like the kind of experience that I had wanted. Mm. And that's, I think we we do that to people often where they feel traumatized from their experience or it feels like it wasn't a good experience for them, but everyone around them is saying, Oh, just let it go, honey. You and your baby are fine. Be grateful for what you have. And I don't think it's an and or, you know, Um, I I don't, I don't think, I think it's like I can be traumatized and grateful that my baby is healthy. Right. But I can also be grateful and mad. Mm. Right. And that's where I think we need to leave space for people to have those experiences and be able to speak about it instead of instead of telling them to bottle it up because it doesn't you know it needs a release right mm-hmm. it's people it needs to be processed when it stays unprocessed is where people I think get impacted long term by those experiences yeah so after the birth of your son did you feel like you were able to express that sensation where you knew that things hadn't been the way that you wanted to and you had those feelings of oh I wasn't expecting that and it doesn't feel the way I thought it would did you have a support network to talk to you about that 
No, I really didn't at all. And I couldn't even really explain to myself what it was that had gone wrong. Mm -hmm. I didn't even have the knowledge and the language to say, hey, that wasn't informed decision making. Mm -hmm. No, that wasn't informed consent to what happened. And that wasn't good supportive care in labor. And so it wasn't until my second experience and taking amazing prenatal Lamaze prenatal classes that I went, ah, now I get it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and even after the second birth experience, it wasn't until two weeks later when I was struggling with feeding and I looked down at him at one moment and I said, buddy, we've got this, like, we're going to figure this out. And I realized that that moment, the confidence that I felt in like the depths of my soul was because I had had an an empowered birth experience. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, whoa. Having an empowered birth experience changes you as a parent. Yeah. And that's why we need to provide support to people in labor and in pregnancy to help them have the kind of birth that they are going to feel is empowering. Mm -hmm. Whether it's getting an epidural or not getting an epidural, having a cesarean, having a vaginal birth, having a VBAC, having a repeat cesarean, like it does, it's not those things that, you know, research tells us it's not those things that impact our birth satisfaction. Mm. The top two things that impact birth satisfaction is that we feel well supported by the people around us and that we are informed decision makers mm. in our care. Those yeah. are the top two things that impact birth satisfaction. Yeah. And I think as well, it's, there can be a perception from the outside sometimes that taking these prenatal you know antenatal classes and you know having a doula or doing all the education that you can is sort of a oh that's nice to have you know that's almost like that oh that's a luxury or that's a um you know just for a certain type of person Mm -hmm. but actually it's like you said it, it changes who you are as a person after you've had your baby and you know in some cases forever so the investment is so worth it, whether that's just time that you're investing or whether it's financially. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah, certainly something that I, I preach as well. I think it's really worth um, worth putting your, yeah, putting yourself into, oh, throwing yourself Absolutely. Into. You know, when you think about how long someone spends researching what car to buy or how much money they've spent on their wedding, and I promise you there is not a bigger day in your life than becoming a parent. Mm. You know, of, of all the things that we invest our time and resources and energy into, mm-hmm. that's the thing. That's the thing. Cause that'll yeah. change you. Yeah. And I mean, it's not always as simple as this, but sometimes I do think how much did that person spend on their pram or their cot? And could they have got that second hand, you know, and maybe paid for the classes that they wanted to go to? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, I think there is a definite. Uh, mismatch in our priorities when it comes to what we what we see as important and worth worthy of investment when it comes to birth um after your baby your first baby was born how long did it take before you started thinking about having another baby and did you feel any kind of trepidation about that considering the birth experience that you'd had or did you kind of think I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it different yeah that's exactly how I felt so I'm I'm definitely uh, personality wise, the type of person who wouldn't let 
fear of a past experience um, impact me. But my mom, I always say my mom raised me with that saying, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So I knew I was going to do things differently. The challenge was that I didn't know what I had, quote unquote, done wrong the first time. So all I thought to myself was I'm going to do the opposite of what I did the first time. And so for starters, I chose my caregiver. I didn't go to whoever I got referred to. Mm -hmm. I chose someone that was aligned with my philosophical views on the kind of birth experience I was looking for. And I took Lamaze childbirth education. Mm. And those two things made all of the difference for me. Cause you know, it's interesting in terms of how long that labor lasted and how much pain I felt was very, very similar to my first experience, but how I was treated during it. Really. I showed up kind of just like, don't tell me what to do. I'll tell you what to do. Like I, I just was really in my power in that experience and not in a, not in an aggressive way, but just no nonsense. This mm. is how this is going to go. Um, don't bother me with a lot of stuff. And I think they kind of shoved me out in a room down the end of the hall and was like, yeah, let's just let her spend some time in there and not worry too much about her. And so didn't have continuous monitoring, didn't have an IV. I actually refused to put on a hospital gown. So I was wearing my own clothing Mm -hmm. and hours and hours went by like that. I barely remember anyone really coming in to check on me. I don't, I don't even know if they thought I was actually in labor. Um, And then my doctor came in before she was going to go to her office. She knew I was in labor. And so my doctor came in, I had a family doctor and to check on me, 730 in the morning. And she said, oh, I'm just going to, you know, see how you're doing. I'm going to do an exam. I hear you've been at this for a few hours yet. She does an exam and says, oh, you know, I could just break your water. That sometimes helps to speed things up. I was like, sure, that sounded fine to me in that moment. And she chatted with me for 15 minutes and she got ready. She's like, okay, so this might take a while. I can try to come back on my lunch if it lines up with that. Otherwise, you know, the OB that's on call today will be just fine. And I went, oh my God, I think the baby's coming. She's like, no, honey, I just checked it. You're just five centimeters. And uh, yeah, the baby was coming. And literally the doctor was taking off my clothes because like I said, I hadn't, I refused to put a hospital gown on because I didn't want to be treated like a patient. Mm -hmm. And uh, my doctor had to take clothes off while the baby was like, you know, being born essentially. So it was quite a scene. And that time between when she had checked you and you were kind of sort of five centimeters to when you were like all this baby's coming was it did you experience like an an obvious like a transition stage or did things really ramp up or was it genuinely quite a surprise to go oh baby's coming yeah I know it really felt like I remember saying out loud it felt like a 30 minute long contraction so really it was just transition people often say that in transition I just had one contraction for 30 minutes no but it's just really hard to notice those breaks when they're 90 seconds you know long um yeah so it was it was you know within I remember thinking it was within about 15 minutes of her breaking my water that I had him so yeah it must have been I must have started ramping up right before she broke my water and then that happened and it just everything went kind of went crazy and I had a baby pretty soon after that wow so did you, I mean, I assume you did, given what you said, as in the baby's coming, mm-hmm. I assume you started to experience that real uncontrollable urge and the fetal mm-hmm. ejection reflex. Yeah. And how did that feel knowing 
that what that I mean you'd done your education I mm-hmm. imagine you kind of knew what to expect or had heard about this how did it feel though when it actually started happening to you and you hadn't felt that last time it must mm-hmm. have been incredible yeah I, it just seemed so much better than not knowing what the heck is going on it it felt really great and I, I only pushed three times and he came out so you know, pretty, pretty quick in comparison with two hours of pushing in an episiotomy, the first one. So it was a pretty big difference. Yeah. Wow. And so did you have any kind of pain relief at all with that experience? No, or... absolutely nothing. Wow. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. So I assume that meant that you could be quite mobile and be kind of mm-hmm. up and um, what position did you birth in in the end? I feel like I was in... Um, like a bit of a side lying okay so like a like a recline kind of side lying mm. yeah everything happened so quickly and there were no nurses in the room and so it was you know it was too fast for anyone to even tell me what to do which that's worked kinda, out just fine for me say that's kind of perfect <laughs> yeah <laughs> the doctor taking my pants off while a baby comes out in there and then calling the nurse hello you want maybe some help here you know well done <laughs> How was the um, third stage of labor managed? So how was your placental birth? Did you find that quite simple or was that something that was a challenge after for both births, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, honestly, with that, with, you know, with neither, none of my experiences, do I have any real memory of that? I Mm. think I was just holding my baby and just focused on that. And, you know, obviously everything had changed so quickly that, anyone that's had a fast birth will say they have this moment where they're like, wait a minute, why is there a baby in my arms and what just happened? Mm -hmm. You know? And so there was a little bit of that. Uh, It took me a second to realize that, yep. Oh yes. My baby is now out, you know? So yeah, just super focused on that. And I I will say the one thing that surprised me the most having babies number two, and especially baby number three is the discomfort of after pains. Yeah. They often say that increases with each baby that you have. But it's incredible. And I just saw this, you know, I just saw someone talking about this on the Facebook group recently, but that third baby, those after pains hurt more than my labor. I have also heard that. So um, for anyone that doesn't know, do you want to yeah. talk a little bit about after pains? Because I don't think anybody has talked about that before okay, on, yeah, on the podcast, actually. So of course, as soon as our baby comes out, our uterus starts to really contract deeply to allow that placenta to come away. And so it contracts and contracts and it's basically we continue labor, um, but that uterus contracts quite aggressively. Now, of course, the majority of the pain that we experience in labor is from the dilation of the cervix. So that, that uterus is, like you said, is pulling back to pull that cervix back so that our baby can come out through it. So that pain disappears when we switch into the pushing stage, right, which we call stage two. And that changes from that, uh, that pain that we kind of have to go through during a contraction, or that sensation or surge or how, whatever language we want to use for that. And it shifts to that sensation of wanting to push the baby out. Mm-hmm. And really, there's no nicer way for me to describe it than, you know, when you have a really bad case of diarrhea, and your body is not like, you're not like, hmm, maybe I need to go to the washroom. You know, you're like, no, it's I gotta go. You know, <laughs> it's like that. You're not like, oh, maybe I feel the urge to push. Just like your whole body's like, oh my God, I'm pushing. You know, it's yeah. that like intensity. And 90%, you know, research says 90% of people say it feels good to push. 90%, yeah. nine out of 10. 
I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and say probably nine out of 10 people are worried. First time birthers are worried about that stage of, of birth. Like they can't imagine a baby coming out of their vagina and that not just being excruciating. But actually, it's only about two, three seconds of pain, of discomfort when the skin stretches around the baby's head and then the skin actually numbs itself. So then you actually don't keep feeling that. And the actual most of pushing is bringing the baby down inside, inside of us, right? So um, I know sometimes there's some crazy shows that make us think that when we're pushing that we can see the baby's head the whole time, but we don't, right? Most of pushing is what's happening inside. You don't even see it at all until the baby is about to come out. That's the only time we see the baby. And, uh, and then of course, like I said, that moment's a little bit stingy, but then numbs itself quite quickly. We're talking like three seconds. It's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's a little burny for three seconds. And then boom, you know, done. So it's, you know, that whole experience of that intensity of pushing is really interesting. Uh, that feels different than dilation and then pushing out your placenta. Basically, you know, doctor or midwife is like, oh, just give a little push. And you're just like, oh, wait, what, why? And boom, like the placenta's out because it's soft, right? The placenta's soft. But for that placenta to come away, our uterus needs to contract, 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 contract. So that, that doesn't feel usually painful with our first baby. But with subsequent babies, it hurts more and more each time. And so that sensation of that uterus clamping down. And of course, even once the placenta comes out, now where the placenta was is a giant open wound, right? Inside mm. of our uterus. And so that wound... We want to stop the flow of blood coming from that womb, wound, and so womb and wound, I guess. <laughs> and so um, that clamping down of that uterus will help that to stop. That's why it's important. And a lot of people hate this, but sometimes nurses or midwives or doctors will reach up and they'll try to massage the person's uterus, right? Yeah. And the person's like, oh, that really hurts. Why are you torturing me here? I just want to enjoy my baby. And it's because they're trying to get that uterus. When they touch it, it makes the uterus contract more to help mm. to stop the flow of blood. But that causes some cramping. Mm. Yeah. So you experienced that much more with your second and third babies to do. Yeah. 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 With the third was just incredible. I was and like, how wow, long... this more than my labor did. Wow. How long did it last for? Um, I feel like it lasted longer with each baby, but it it's a couple of days. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Because I'm just of course, any time that. that the uterus contracts more is going to hurt more. So, for example, every time you go to latch your baby on, right, latching a baby onto the breast or chest is going to release oxytocin. And oxytocin is that hormone that's going to make us contract. So then you're going to feel it every time you latch the baby on. I mean, it's amazing stuff. And your body is doing the most incredible thing because yeah we want to st stem that flow of bleeding we want to reduce the risk of any sort of postpartum hemorrhage or any sort of blood loss that's going to cause us any trouble and just let us enjoy our baby yeah but there's a process for that to happen exactly <laughs> um yeah i'm just trying to think back actually because um my son was born by cesarean mm -hmm. and i don't really remember having i mean i'm you know i didn't feel anything for many hours after he was born so I don't remember that initial pain mm -hmm. um, and I don't really remember it in the subsequent days, but mm -hmm. it's something that I am really interested in, in terms of future births so yes. that, you know, I'm aware that it does kind of increase with each and I'm almost like, oh, I kind of want to see what that's like, even though I'm not <laughs> saying that it's a good thing to feel, um, but it is really interesting. And yeah, and I don't think that necessarily everybody is aware that that's going to happen. So yeah. I can imagine it's a little bit worrying, you know, I'm done here. Why is this still, why is this still happening? Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
so how was your initial kind of postnatal postpartum period with your second son and how did that compare to the first experience to how did you you mentioned that moment where you were looking down and you kind of felt like your confidence in being mm-hmm. his parent was so much higher did mm-hmm. you find that that kind of translated the whole postpartum time yes absolutely it, I mean in general my body felt better have felt healthier you know after that birth I was in significantly less pain and I really remember thinking you know how interesting it was that uh, so many people glorify the use of the epidural so that they avoid the pain of labor but I thought to myself isn't this kind of pay now or pay later you know Mm. you're gonna you're going to feel discomfort in some way it's just which side you want it on you know, and even now when, when someone says, oh, I'm so afraid of the pain of labor, I might just have a cesarean. I'm like, oh, let's just chat a little bit more about that because recovering from a cesarean is considerably more days of pain than the time you would spend in labor. But it might, and it might be a pain <clears throat> that that person can handle better. You know, maybe mm-hmm. that's more palatable for them psychologically than the pain of labor. But no matter how we get a baby out, for the vast majority of people, there is some kind of discomfort somewhere along that path. I imagine a lot of the way your body felt after that first birth was because you couldn't tune into when you needed to push, why you needed to push. And so you're giving it all, you've given it some welly, you know, you're really going for it, but it might not necessarily be that you're working with your body at that point in time. So it's almost like coming out of a really tough workout at the end where where you didn't do what your body necessarily was asking you to do Um, whereas with your second birth if you were just oh it's happening and I'm going with it Mm -hmm. I can imagine the just the the muscular tension must have been so different afterwards yeah and the main thing you know avoiding an episiotomy I if I had any tear at all it was a stitch or two Um, and that recovery from that is just so, was so much better. You know, I was up and walking around right away. I felt really good. Uh, and that just made a world of difference for, for my capacity to handle learning how to feed, you know, a baby that's struggling with feeding and, um, and taking care of another child on top of that and recovering and all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So after you'd had your two babies, one with and one without an epidural, Mm -hmm. when you found that you were having your third baby, did you, what were your plans for that birth and uh, given everything that you'd learned? Yeah. So that was the, I think sometimes that's a challenge for people who are actually birth workers and then they become pregnant is that there's a lot of, um, we want the perfect birth, you know, we're going to script this out. We know so much. We know all the things. And so we're going to have this perfect birth. And as we know, birth and pregnancy are unpredictable. And there are things that are in our control and things that are not in our control. And ultimately, how I work now with families is really helping them to prepare for whatever might come. Mm -hmm. And using those inner resources and building skills and resilience to know that you can handle whatever life might have in store for us, right? But it is our responsibility to learn and invest in the knowledge and to show up as an informed and assertive decision maker in our own care, Mm -hmm. right? 
because like I said before, like ultimately I've had clients who've done all the things, who've done all the courses and all the preparation. I had a client who rented this entire incredible home and had the best midwife and all the supports. I mean, so many wonderful people there and felt so confident. And then her baby had a hand, you know, up against her cheek. And I'll tell you, the little finickiest thing like that can impact how our labor goes. You know, a baby whose head is a little bit tipped to one side can change all of the trajectory of labor. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, ultimately what happened with her. And, um, and yet she came away and said, wow, that sure was a mother making experience that Mm -hmm. taught me really early on. You can do all the things. And life still sends you whatever it is that it thinks you need to learn as a skill, right? And in that case was you don't get to control everything. You don't get to script everything. And, and I think life, you know, life sent me that experience as well for myself. So I was planning a home birth, had wonderful midwives. Um, but like I mentioned, I get gestational diabetes and, you know, that turned into a, a bit of a thing. Uh, you know, in Ontario, midw- midwives have privileges at at least one hospital, but they're still, you know, under, under the, the sort of the policies and a lot of the crap that goes along with that, if you will. And so, you know, I think they felt a lot of pressure for me to have a hospital birth and I, I just was not interested in that. So when, but when I went into labor, um, I had some cord compression, my water broke actually as a first sign of labor with that labor. And which I hadn't experienced with the other two. Mm. And, uh, and then there was some cord compression and her heart rate was dipping at home. And so the midwife said, I'm sorry, Steph, but you know, you really, you should go to the hospital. We should head in. And to this day, I still wonder, was that a thing or did they just want to get me to the hospital? I like to think that they wouldn't do something like that, but you know, you wonder, Mm. you kind of wonder. And um, again, I had a wonderful birth, you know, it wasn't at home how I imagined. And that first 24 hours wasn't what I imagined, but it was, really wonderful and taught me a lot Mm, yeah you're so right and yeah you can plan everything Mm -hmm. but life doesn't always give Mm -hmm. you the perfect tick box of everything that you planned and I think that's the really important thing that I took away from my antenatal education and and I feel like I'm quite unusual in that I had a doula for my first birth Mm -hmm. um and from what I see now in in the work that I do is it's often second time parents that will be looking into doula support but um yeah what I really took away from that relationship and also the antenatal work that I did was about that preparation for every scenario and actually from the outside going into it maybe I I had the perception that I think maybe a lot of people do which is okay we're going to make a birth plan and we're going to plan the perfect birth and that's what I'm going to have when actually I came out of the other side with well, these are the things that I would really like. These are the things that would mean a lot to me. And these are the things that are non-negotiable. And they were things that I knew that we always had control over, such as I wanted my husband to announce whether we had a boy or a girl. And I knew that he could do that wherever we were, whatever situation we were in. And so to have those few things that were like non-negotiable, but they were totally realistic within my expectations, that was great. But I came away from that educational mm-hmm. experience knowing that I had the I had the tools to cope with anything that could possibly happen to me um yeah, yeah. and that that was what I found so valuable and I came out of my birth thinking that it was just the most incredible positive amazing experience but it was the absolute opposite from what mm-hmm. I had planned I mean couldn't have been more topsy-turvy I mean he was literally breached I mean 
there was it was upside down in so many ways um <laughs> but uh yeah and it's it's being able to go with that and being able to make your clients feel safe that they can do that yeah that's so important yeah that's I think that's really the work that we need to do is for people to number one is to realize the power they have within a system that makes us feel powerless sometimes Mm -hmm. you know and I and I just want to say I know there are a lot of amazing, amazing doctors and midwives out there who are working so hard to give people a positive experience. And we're not talking about those people. You know, when I say we still find a lot of our clients as doulas, we watch these experiences every day of caregivers that are not supportive of an evidence-based practice, who are not supportive of informed decision-making, who cannot accept when someone says, thank you for your recommendation, but I don't want to do that. Who just really, you know, there are a lot of caregivers who really struggle with those aspects of our care. And so, you know, we want people to show up and be able to say, even though it's uncomfortable to say to that caregiver, thanks for your recommendation, but no, I'm not doing that. You know, no, I'm not sitting here in bed. No, I'm not sitting here with continuous fetal monitoring and an uncomplicated labor. You know, no, I'm not getting an epidural because it makes you feel better that, you know, when you more more comfortable not seeing me in pain. Um, and that's an interesting thing for us to chat a little bit more about is that mm-hmm. idea of like epidural use and pain versus no pain. And that whole thing is really interesting right now at a time when we have epidural shortages. And so that's such an interesting thing is now we have nurses who, you know, are used to pushing epidurals and so like, you need this, you need this. And all of a sudden they don't have them. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what that feels like for that staff to not have those tools um, when they're not used to using them, you know? So yeah, that, that whole thing's interesting, but, and it's hard, you know, and I say, I remember being the person who was a doula, who was a childbirth educator and who had to say to her midwives and doctors, like, no, I'm not doing that, but thank you. And that is hard. It is hard to do, but you can do it. And right? it's hard, it's hard when, you, when you are a birth worker. It's hard when you know everything from an evidence-based standpoint. Yeah. You know, it, it's even doubly hard when you're coming from a place of maybe recent education or, or not necessarily having access to all the facts, but just knowing in your gut that that's something that means a lot to you. It's really hard to feel like you are at the center of your birth experience sometimes. Mm-hmm. yeah but yeah I think the um the epidural pain versus no pain thing is really interesting as well and what you what you talked about with the payoff of of mm-hmm. pain of labor versus afterwards I think there's definitely that perception of if I go for an epidural or if I elect for a cesarean or anything like that that I have removed the pain mm-hmm. from this experience everyone is going to choose what they need to choose for them I hope at the end of it all mm-hmm. but yeah god recovery from surgery is just no joke it's so hard mm-hmm. I definitely pre- preferred the pain of labor if I'm honest mm-hmm. to the pain of recovering <laughs> to the pain of trying to go upstairs after a cesarean <laughs> I would choose you know unmedicated birth any day over my epidural birth you know any any day and and it's interesting I mean it's such a such a controversial thing within really parenthood you know and people who are pregnant is you've got these people who say like yes I'd like to avoid it if I can and what they mean is if it's easy 
which is cool. And then you've got people who are like, no, hardcore, like, no, I'm not getting an epidural. I'm going to have my baby at home or I'm going to the hospital, but I have my doula or my midwives and I'm not getting an epidural no matter what. I really don't want that. And then you've got these other people who are like, why are you being a martyr? You don't get a star or an award for having a baby without an epidural. Like, what's your problem? You know, you wouldn't go to the dentist and get a tooth pulled without freezing. Why would you go to the hospital and have a baby without an epidural? It's like, well, I'm not sure there's a ton of benefit in having a tooth pulled without freezing, but there are quite a lot of benefits to having a baby without an epidural. It's like we just we just want to pretend that there's no hormonal interaction there in labor for both the, the birthing person and the baby. It's like there is a lot of stuff going on when we number one, let labor start on its own. So we let a baby come really prepare itself and our body prepare itself for labor. Um, But also just, you know, having baby without, without an epidural, it has the potential to really go, well, it gives us the normal hormonal physiology of birth. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And it's not bad to get an epidural, but there are reasons why people choose not to, let's just put it. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's worth just saying, that there are lots of things that you can learn about epidurals for you know the pros the cons how it might fit into your situation and if and if that all sounds okay to you then then go for it and that's fantastic because it's totally an informed choice but having somebody in the middle of a contraction probably transition saying you need one of these love um Mm. is not the same so yeah yeah you've just got to know what you're doing Exactly. It comes back down to that same thing, which is like, if really, if we were just using evidence-based based practice with people in informed decision-making, we would get the best possible outcomes, right? For everybody. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, a birth where people, the baby and the mother are alive, but the mother is super traumatized, that is not a successful birth, right? Some people might see it that way. Well, they're alive, the baby's alive. I'm like, yeah, I like to think we can aim yeah. a little higher as a species. I was gonna say, that's a low bar, isn't it? Like the very low bar, like you're both alive. I really? mean, yeah. yeah, 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 we can aim higher than that. It's true. Yeah. It's yeah. True. So um, following on from your uh, third birth, were you, were you already working as a doula and working in birth work then? You were? I was, okay. yeah. So I'd been teaching for just about three years and I was attending maybe like six to eight births a year at that mm-hmm. time. So I had done, you know, pretty much three years of that. And um, I'm trying to think if I had already done my first doula training. I'm pretty sure I had, but I, I don't know. I just, that's, that seems like a long time ago already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, that's incredible. And like, obviously each experience that you've had has just fed into those lessons. And like, I just think one of the most, you know, fantastic things that we've talked about is just that you can learn everything and you still might not get the experience you think, but it's about building that resilience. And yeah, it's, it's just great that you're able to work with families to be able to help build that resilience so yeah that's awesome yeah and I think you know a lot of people come into birth work because they want to save others from the birth the difficult birth experience they had Mm -hmm. or they want to help other people had the magical birth experience that they had and I think both of those situations are 
bound to cause challenge for yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, you know, I really struggled quite a bit in the early years with vicarious trauma, you know, again, trying to save the world from this type of birth or that type of birth. And, uh, and it's taken a lot of years and a lot of maturity uh, in those years, you know, maturity years of life to realize that I'm just here to hold space for someone to have the experience that they're going to have. I'm not here to save anyone. I'm not here to help anyone achieve something. I'm here to hold space and to navigate it with them. And and as someone who has a lot of experience and can share a lot of tools and resources and, and skills and, um, and at the end of the day, you know, for myself and for other birth workers, I would say is we really need to take our own personal stuff out of it. And so when someone comes to me and says, uh, you know, I'm a doula trainer and someone says, hey, I'm thinking of taking your course, but I've never had children before. Is that OK? And I'm like, oh, yes, please. That's perfect. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because they're not bringing their own birth experiences to their work. And and also it would have been really cool for me to learn all of this before I had all my babies. You know, that would be neat too to have that experience of having more knowledge and training and experience. But um, but you know, I think if you're thinking anyone who's sitting there thinking, yeah, I want to help save other people from the birth experience I had, like, no, you gotta process your situation first, your births first, and you need to come into it for a whole other reason, right? Mm-hmm. Because otherwise we just end up feeling worse, not better. Yeah. So after my birth, it was weeks after I'd had my baby that I realized that I didn't know anything about my doula's two births. I didn't know how her babies were born. I didn't know whether she'd had a positive or a negative experience. I didn't know any of it. Mm -hmm. And part of me felt bad because I hadn't asked her. And I'd been working with this woman for like, three months um mm-hmm. and she's now one of my really very great friends but I also just love that I loved it because I just felt there was nothing of her crap mm-hmm. there was none yep. of it you know she was incredibly passionate and, and advocated mm-hmm. for me and but it was all based on my stuff you know it was not about her experience um yeah and, and it was just it was just fantastic I mean I, I know about her births now because you know we sort of we're mates but uh yeah it was just so wonderful because I never felt her bring anything in to that space I just felt like it was all about us and that was that was the way it should be and she so she actually did the training that I then took her doula training Mm. so yeah in in the UK so that was great so um amazing yeah Yeah, I always say that's the sign of a great doula you know if, if a client asks me to tell me to tell them about my births I say I'll tell you what after you've had your baby if you're still interested in learning I'll tell you then yeah perfect yeah oh well thank you so much for sharing your stories and all so much knowledge and wisdom before we go I mean, you've given loads of like fantastic advice, but I always ask people if you were to speak to somebody who is about to have their first baby, what is the top piece of advice that you would give them? Maybe what are the top resources and things to think about as they enter into this new stage of their life? Good one. So my one piece of advice would be, would be for people to think and learn the difference between thinking about something with your head your heart or your gut. So thinking with your head is words and stats and that information that you've learned from this website or that website 
and that sometimes feels overwhelming and that sometimes you don't believe your heart is a longing, a desire, a yearning for this or that thing to happen. And your gut is a deep inner knowing, the depth of your soul that you can't explain. You just know you should do something or you know you shouldn't. Learn the difference between assessing every situation with those three different in those three different ways. Go with two out of three. <laughs> I love that advice. Two out of three. Yeah, because yeah, one of those is going to steer you right. <laughs> That's such great advice. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time and sharing everything with us today. If people want to connect with you and learn more about what you do, um, what's the best way to get in touch with you or to find out more about you? Sure. So, anyone having a baby in the Toronto area can look up our agency at discoverbirth.com. And anyone interested in doing birth or postpartum doula training or becoming a Lamaz childbirth educator can find us at doulaschool.ca. Perfect. Great. And I will link to those when I post this online. So, that's awesome. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. Oh, a huge thank you again, Stephanie, for taking the time to chat with me about the births of your children, your work as a doula, and now an educator too. If you'd like to find out more about doula school and Stephanie's work and just follow her in general, you can reach out on Instagram. She is at doula school or via her website, which is doulaschool.ca. Um, I'm going to link to her on my social media too, so you'll be able to find out um, where you can reach her there too that is everything from me this week if you know somebody who would really enjoy this podcast or this episode perhaps someone who is weighing up the options when it comes to epidurals and pain relief or if they want to know more about becoming a doula please share this episode on social media i'm real birth podcast on facebook and instagram so you can send that to your friends you can comment you can rate you can review all those good things that keep me showing up in search results and things like that that means a lot to me so thank you very much Before I go, in case you hadn't heard, this series of the podcast is sponsored by Bridge House Pilates, who are offering an exclusive 20% discount from their online, on-demand, postnatal Pilates course. It's a six-week Pilates program, which is taught by an amazing lady called Megan. She's just really lovely. She's from Texas originally, so I'm a bit obsessed with her accent. And it's just designed to fit around your life as a new parent. It helps you to rebuild strength after birth, however your baby came into the world, and is full of kind of bite-sized exercises, relaxation videos, and all of this is available from the comfort of your home whenever you finally get a moment. (laughs) You can find the link to Bridge House Pilates course on our social media in the show notes of the podcast or by going to bridgehousepilates.com. You can use the code REALBIRTH20 for 20% off, or if you go directly via my social media, that discount code is already applied. Thank you so much again for joining me this week. I will see you next Wednesday for another amazing birth story. Bye.